Welcome back to another episode of Who's to Say. I'm your ready, willing, and able host, Tom Foolery, and this may be the shortest long podcast I've ever done. And by way of explanation, I had scores of notes and resources and literally hours upon hours of content ready to bring home this series and to make it exclusively about especially on the heels of the episode on the history of vaccinations and sort of the ambiguity that that leaves us in today and the potential cause for a lot of the chronic disease that we are now plagued by. I went through quite a few mental iterations of trying to determine what was essential in this podcast and in this series. Where I landed took on many different appearances and it coincided with a lot more beyond just the realm of what was going on with the COVID shots and uh, kind of the, the how things have petered out and, and almost everyone's focus has been elsewhere. And I think that's sort of the challenge of trying to go back through and tackle a, a revisionist history and... I mean that not by way of trying to um, trying to alter the facts. That, that's not really what revisionist history is. But but to look back critically and try to determine what was missed and what was purposefully uh, altered or excluded from the history as it evolved at the time. And you know, I realized even for my own internal conversations, how early on we all talked about, oh, I can't wait to get back to normal. And, oh, you know, I'm so sick of all this COVID stuff. And I mean, that really was strung out over the course of several years. And yet, so much of the angst and aversion were perpetuated. Uh, and by no means does the recent decree out of the White House validate the end of the pandemic. And you'll probably hear me feature much more frequently the term pandemic because what the research has revealed to me, as far as my own perspective, is that it was not a preponderance of mistakes or miscalculations that led us into this very tyrannical totalitarian time this experience of the COVID moment that brought about so much restriction, loss of freedom, loss of opportunity, the decimation of the small business world. Uh, these, these things in the end did not seem to come about by accident. And, and so where this brought me, I, I like to think, and I'll still get fired up on this particular podcast and, share as much as comes to mind, but truly this is meant to be a very raw explanation of my, my silence and, and my uh, true revision of how I wanted to approach this particular topic, because it has really captivated so much of my attention, mostly because it has, uh, launched me onto different paths. And one of those paths was my own relationship with activism because this has 
I, I think motivated for me a, a very keen and also latent longing for more knowledge of what it means to be truly healthy and especially in the face of a world that does seem to uh, plague us, as, as I said before, with so many issues. And I, I have a great rundown of, of what I think a lot of those issues are, which I'll have to share, uh, because it, it, it is part of what has derailed my very involved and uh, antagonistic form of activism. And I'm greatly motivated by the work of Dr. Kelly Brogan. I find her to be so progressive in her thinking because she is very candid about her own self-criticism and, and the positive elements of where that's led her. And as someone who was very involved in the in the activism field for many years of her life, she has now adopted this approach of more, uh, it's taken on a few different manifestations in her own life, but this submission, a, su a surrender, and not trying to be the force that resists so much as informs. And I'm, I'm probably not doing full justice to her own approach, but the thing that I realized for myself is whether it's, I, I don't think it's a complete surrender to futility and saying that it's not worth it to reveal any sort of misdeeds or malevolence that I saw crop up in the form of COVID shots and their coercive presence in our society and, and especially in my own life. I mean, that, that was a big part of it was the personal response to that situation and that choice. But I've mentioned Charles Eisenstein's work before. I've got my hand on his book, Sacred Economics, next to me, and I'll read from it in a little bit. But people like him and people like Kelly Brogan who have, you know, I, I now have the benefit of their lived experience and may, maybe stop short on a path that I could have continued to go down. And as I said, I mean, I was very committed to, I would say the great force behind the Hindsight in 2020 series was to culminate with the moral indignation that I felt around the deception for COVID-19 shots. And the point I am very circuitously trying to make is that I had to come to grips with the realization that my resistance to it and any sort of anger that I tried to displace or or circulate into this podcast under the guise of informing you all is not necessarily what is best served. And, and not only because there are people more qualified, more committed than I am, who, whose genuine life's work is disciplined around the exposure of the medical, pharmaceutical, industrial complex, uh, the political games that are being played around uh, any sort of national uh, or international rather uh, health dictates, um, mandates on a, on a real massive scale. Uh, there are people who I'm, I'm going to talk about whose 
they, they are completely committed to that. And to be fair to them, I am not. It is a still a very pertinent and personal investigative process that I go through and, and try to stay apprised of, but uh, it is not the thing that consumes me. What, what really lights me up is this continued, really endless exploration of my own place in this world. And uh, this is, as it takes on so many different forms, the idea of who's to say is I'm relentlessly seeking out new sources or new voices that totally shake me up and then bring me back into myself because that's the only voice that we need to cultivate. Um, I, th I think one of the most profound revelations that I've had is that we're all responsible for our own reprogramming, as I've said before, and that at the end of the day, guru, no guru, mentor, no mentor, th those relationships are gifts, even if they're from afar, but the, the goal, and it doesn't have an end, as I said, it is endless, is to only take counsel of our inner voice. And you can call that soul, you can call it psyche, whatever you deem it to be. It could be God within you, as I'm being led to pursue in my own way. Uh, and that voice is not, it, as much as I can hear it plainly and honestly, it's not encouraging me to be an activist in this way. I have other work to do, mostly personal, <laughs> mostly to fortify myself and make sure that I fully understand some of the mechanisms that I'm talking about and will continue to talk about on the podcast to be sure. But I had to, I had to give up this project. And I, I think I was also relieved in a lot of what I'm seeing now in terms of people who are picking up the mantle uh, on a much larger scale, as I said, people with real audience factor, uh, you know, the, the ability to speak to tens and hundreds of thousands of people and millions of people. And it's, it's okay that it's coming so late. It's all right that it's coming, you know, almost four years removed from the onset of COVID tyranny. And, you know, one of the fascinating culminations this week has been, uh, I, I forget who, I think it was a press release from the FDA, the authorizing body of how we came to have the emergency use authorization for the Moderna and, uh, and Pfizer shots in our in our country and and J and J as well, but the mRNA are, are such a paramount focus because it is novel and there are so many downstream issues of that and and so much of the revisionist history we experienced at the time that uh, you know while it was Operation Warp Speed, the oscillation of the arguments between well, we had to roll these out because this is an emergency and hundreds of thousands of people in America are dying and millions around the world are dying from COVID, so we had to rush this. But don't worry, as novel as this is, we've been working on it for 10 years. So the background work has been done. And, you know, yes, to be intellectually competent and, and even to tackle new problems, you do have to be able to hold 
maybe even counterintuitive or, or conflicting, a, a, at least two ideas at one time. And so you might be able to hold space for those. But what pains you after a time, as, as I hope it pains you, it certainly pained me, is to see this press release from the FDA on Tuesday of this week, um, April 18th, that the Pfizer and Moderna original monovalent vaccines... I, I use their language here, COVID-19 vaccines, are no longer authorized for use in the United States. And the decision was made through a recent amendment to the EUA, the emergency use authorizations of the Moderna and Pfizer shots. The FDA claimed that the decision was made in order to simplify the vaccine process. And I, th I think that as authorizations continue, how they have to distinguish between what was first available and now the many, many boosters that are made available. But this is a time where I think that you can embrace a little bit of moral indignation. And I'm, my, my only caveat at this point, and I have this conversation with my dear friends and family whom I love and care about, and, and th this is the other... Uh, challenge for myself, the other gauntlet for me, is to honor my own, and this is another classic example of take my advice, I'm not using it, but no, it, it, it's to honor my own precept that I, I can only live my life and in the same way that I don't want people telling me what the fuck I should be doing, no one wants to hear from me well, why didn't you know X, Y, and Z? And have you considered ABC? And you know, here are the one, two, three things that you need to be doing differently if you got these shots. And that doesn't come from a place of judgment or wanting to instill regret or guilt within people. I, I am fully aware of all of the, let's call them non-medical, not in, invalid reasons why people felt that they had to get these shots. And I, I, I would say the, the wealth of reasons, the, uh, uh, the sur superfluous amount of reasons were non-medical. It was to keep the job, it was to travel, it was to not really be slowed down in your daily life. And sort of coupled to that, to those reasons was the belief that, and I, and I very much went through this at the time, that I felt like if these shots had a bit more of a, of a confidence metric from the FDA, this is before I know now what I know about the FDA, uh, you know, th then I might have felt a little bit more open to trusting what what was being offered to us as and also i mean maybe it's not fair to 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 loop this into the explanations of non-medical reasoning but the there was the belief and a lot of people have tried to deny it at this point but this narrative that the shots were the only way out of the pandemic this was the only avenue to find your way back to normal, back to better, however you wanted to posit it. And I, I think that was a, a really 
loud message, constantly repeated, without much, I mean, from what I could tell at the time, and certainly every day since, without much validity to that. I, I was very, very skeptical of this belief and 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 so much of what we just experienced was belief this innate trust in these systems that have been around for so long and of course why this is such a significant moment in my life is it, it has been the thing that has stirred my preconceived notions the most because when you start to challenge the authority and the, you might even say the moral high ground of institutions like the FDA or the NIAID, the White House, um, you know, any, any sort of uh, other comp- complementary institutions that tried to bolster the narrative surrounding uh, the, the lockdowns, the masking, the mandates, the vaccines being the only way, the demonization of unvaccinated and what's wrong with anti-vax people. When you start to distance yourself from those, you you have you, you start to ask questions like, I, I think anyone should and may and might, do these institutions really have my best interest in mind? What what does public health mean? Is it the protection of the public, uh, or is it the protection of individuals? It might be self evident in in just the description of public health, but then, what are the standards for? I mean, what what are the strategies long held to bring about certain types of behavior that create this notion of public health. And I I think I've mentioned this before, but it was really interesting to hear a very famous uh, Hollywood personality. I say very famous, let's just call them famous Hollywood personality. Talk about when he went to his, uh, or spoke to a pediatrician friend of his, he said, the pediatrician mentioned to him that by by way of contrast to what we just re- went through around the narrative surrounding vaccines, the pediatrician said, no parents ever come into my office and say, Doc, we want to do our part to protect the greater Los Angeles area and have our children vaccinated. That perspective has been so hyper-focused on, you know, and, and I tried to challenge as much of that as possible in the previous episode turtles all the way down that the previous understanding of vaccination schedule and and why we might pursue vaccination as a means of immunological protection is for the individual you get children vaccinated to protect them from measles mumps rubella uh hep b whatever you want to name and it is a long schedule as I, as I covered in the podcast. But so seemingly overnight, and this, this was sort of the, the, the alarming nature of the COVID moment is how much of recent memory or even recent culture that we abandoned due to fear and uncertainty and the relinquishing of our own faculties to institutions and to, to mouthpieces. And it resulted in this this total 180 belief that you needed to get vaccinations for other people and that you were doing this, you were making this potential sacrifice as unfortunately too many 
thousands upon thousands of people have experienced since then that it, w- it was a necessary, and I, I remember this language from someone like Eric Weinstein, whom I greatly admire and, and whose voice is, I think, essential in a time like this. And I, I don't know if he's revisited this much. I think he feels like he has greater concerns as a scientist, a, a physicist, mathematician, polymath. But I, I remember him giving voice to the, this wartime mentality that, like, you don't really have the luxury of asking too many questions when you just got to send your, your sons off to war. Those are, that's the sacrifice mentality you make f- to protect the, the nation. And so I, I remember a little bit of that rising to the fore, that there, there was a, a, an expected sacrifice that your, your freedoms, your skepticism, your individual health had to take a back seat to public health and to deliver us from this pandemic. And I have to say that didn't necessarily reason out with me at the time. And, and since then I have placed a lot more credence for my own evolution in trying to Understand as as the term that I use, thanks to Shravin Jafaria, wherein my rational mind and my ability to think through things, I don't prize as highly as I used to, and and, and maybe it's because I'm stupid, but uh, I don't I don't quite think that's it. And what I encourage other people to do is is to do more of the inner work that lets you have the conversation with your heart and trust your. Paul Check has the great exercise for taking silent moments of meditation and asking your soul to speak to you by way of physical feeling. And it, very simple practice. And you do need to get very, very quiet and still and, and not be subject to what might be your mind sort of uh, taking over the controls and maybe trying to manipulate you there. And, I, and I'm not saying I've perfected this, but I think it's a great practice and practice being that operative word to in these silent moments, ask your soul or your inner being spirit, God, inner voice, true self, again, however you want to define it, but asking the soul for the physical response of your yes. And soul, okay, I I, I hear you or or I, I feel whatever that manifestation is. Can you show me, you know, after, after some period, maybe you sit with that, maybe you uh, ask it another question of something that you, you think might be a yes or that you believe to be a yes, and maybe you get that response. And, okay, so, so I understand you clearly. Can you, can you create that yes physical feeling three more times so that I, and, so that I have, have no doubt that that's where it's coming from? And you do the same for your no. And the purpose of this practice, such as it is, is so that you you don't have to lean too heavily on pro and con list, rational thinking. What do the experts say? It's so that you can really take counsel of what you believe to be best for you and, and through something of a tried and true uh, test. And I think it's incredibly valuable 
deeply, deeply spiritual in the sense that you get to reconnect with a way of knowing that is not prized anymore. I mean, we, we do, unfortunately disparage and discredit people who are in their feelings and people who have more of a trusting nature in their own conscious gut heart. I mean, I I mentioned that in the, in the heart consciousness episode that I did a couple, a couple podcasts ago, because that has been, I've been so enamored with that because as I've mentioned previously, we have rationalized ourselves into war, into public health policies that don't work, into an education system that robs us of real knowledge, into ways of relating to people in a, in a very detached way. It's, it's a separation that is still being validated by a rationalizing perspective. And it doesn't seem to be getting us any closer to happiness or sustainability. And so... To, to bring this back around to the COVID shots, for this moment in time to deliver to us this unapologetic apology that, by the way, the FDA is saying, you know, those original shots that we told you you all had to, had to get, not should get. I mean, th- this was the thing. Like, I, I sort I was adopting the policy of, Hey, I am good. You know, as a quick rundown of, of my response that it took me a long time to try to succinctly share with people. And I, I didn't get too much challenge on it. I think a lot of people just kind of dismissed me and, and, you know, whatever their judgments were, I, I try not to care too much. I mean, I'll, I'll speak to the very personal experience I had in a moment, but my impression was that COVID-19, such as it was, is similar to a seasonal flu with a slightly higher risk profile for elderly and people with comorbidities. I was very attuned to the comorbidity discussion early on, obesity, vitamin D deficiency, anxiety, because of what that does to your uh, stress response and your immune system, the infection rates, uh, even if the PCR tests were accurate, which they the the numbers uh, that came out were that they reported a ninety percent or more false positive because they were overcycled for for so long. I mean that was just the nature of the PCR test and the developer of the PCR test. And this is another thing that drives me absolutely batty because the the video the the video that's circulating now from Carrie Mullis, Nobel Prize winner, developer of the PCR test years before the COVID-19 moment was talking about how with, with the enactment of overcycling the PCR test, you can find anything that you, you might want to look for with that mechanistic approach, because, you know, after you cycle enough, I mean, it, it is going to develop the power to find latent forms of any germ virus uh, toxic element, even, even non-toxic elements within your biology. And so it's a very unreliable test for something like, you know, what, what you might be considered to be a flu or, or flu-like virus. Uh, so, you know, early on, I was looking at even an infection rate through the PCR testing module of a 0.05% for the 18 to 29 year old cohort 
in which I reside. Looking at that, thinking about, okay, what, even if I am infected, what then? I was tuned into be, because of my curiosity and my optimism that there were going to be other options for early treatment other than the prevailing recommendations at the time, which were basically, okay, you've got COVID, now what? Why don't you go home, and if and when it gets worse, we'll see you back in the hospital and put you on a bloody ventilator. Uh, the early treatment protocols that I was curious about and, and were starting to gain some traction, they were producing something like a 98% risk reduction efficacy. And importantly, early treatments never kill or maim you or compromise you, and you only have to be treated if you get the virus and if it's, and if it's bad. Part and parcel to this is that the FDA confirmed in issuing the original emergency use authorization for the shots was that there was, quote, limited data to assess the effect of the, of the vaccines against transmission or infection. And the, and the only point of getting vaccinated is for treatment in, in, in that circumstance. But most young people, myself included, didn't feel any reason that, you know, to, to choose the vaccination route when the mortality from infection is of of COVID is orders of magnitude less than that from vaccination. The early statistical analyses I looked at was that if you opt as a young person to get the vaccination by way of treatment or preemptive treatment or however you even wanted to conceptualize it, the risk was orders of magnitude higher than what you might get with the symptoms from, you know, what was deemed to be COVID-19. So, so the, a, lot, a lot of this was my reasoning early on for why I was unwilling to go the route of vaccination. Uh, and so, I mean, th this is to say nothing of variants and how I, th I think the realization has come about since that Variants are more often than not a product of vaccinating in the midst of an evolving viral rep replication situation uh, because of the infinite intelligence of you know, what is deemed to be a virus compared to the limited technology of what was originally a monovalent uh, and, and bivalent forms of the COVID-19 shots, uh, a virus, any, any sort of living entity has a lot more intelligence than we give it credit for. And this is uh, another gripe I have with reductionist scientists is I guess even when thinking of something as really alive as, as a virus, then you should be much more humble in your approach to trying to subdue it or conquer it or defeat it, let alone, I mean, th this was the this is the world that we live in of total defeat. We're going to exterminate the virus. We're going to end cancer. We're going to end poverty, end drug use completely. 100% defeat, 0% continuance of whatever this plight might be. And it's, uh, I think there's a lot of ego in that to be sure, but I mean, it's uh, you, you might be waiting around a while for for those numbers, and uh, I mean, th this is this is all to say that 
and, and not, not to toot my horn and, and say that I knew better than you when, but I had enough skepticism to say that, okay, th- this, these shots are not the way out and they're probably not as safe. They're definitely not as effective as they're being purported to be. And what the, the pain is for me now is in the 24-7 news cycle in the short-term memory loss that we have by design because of being overstimulated and having access to more information in a day than people less than 100 years ago had in a lifetime. That, that is an overwhelming influx of inputs that is really hard to balance. And so it, it numbs us, as I've said before, to any, any significant update, such as, by the way, these shots are no longer, the original shots are no longer authorized in the supposed freest, best country in the world. It, 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 it's an oopsie. It's, as I said, it's, it's an unapologetic apology. I mean, the, uh, for what it's worth, and, and maybe people don't care about apologies anymore, I mean, and I'm of two minds of this because I think a lot of people do get coerced into apologies when they really didn't do anything wrong, but they're trying to kowtow and they're trying to assuage other people's indignation. But sometimes an apology does go a long way. An admission of mistake, especially with what has transpired in the last several years, I think would be some something of a salve on the wound. And we are all hurting whether we recognize it or not. There, there is so much hurt that we had to endure uh, on, on, on so many levels. I mean, it, it's a continued war on our connection. This is another war that seeks to divide us. And it, I mean, I, I do find these things more often than not to be by design and you know I, I trying to hold two different two, two uh, yeah I would say juxtaposed belief systems when it comes to what what is that design and where does it come from that you know really originated with the Roman Empire to divide and conquer why would people like our own government want to conquer us when you know so many of the politicians espouse freedom when so many leaders in, in any segment of the culture espouse freedom and, and yet seek to limit that for some group or some people or some person uh, what, what is that design is it is it new world order is it just our government is it just bad actors and I, I do hold a, a, at least a partial truth in that in that belief and I continue to explore that try to try to investigate what the it's really the money power and and as cliched as that is I mean the the, the great meme circulating out there is I try to follow the silent the science but it keeps leading me back to the money and I mean yeah I I don't want to I don't want to fall prey to the reductionist attitude that I'm so critical of in science and in philosophy and in culture where, or, or, you know, even if it's climate change, as I've talked about before, to reduce the blame to just one thing. But the money power is so varied anyway. But, but in, in the 
especially in the COVID vaccine debate, uh, I, I didn't think it was just about this being an opportunity for big pharma to make a killing, even though they did. Even though, I mean, the, the pandemic in general saw the greatest upwards tra- upward transfer of wealth uh, in, I think, modern history. Uh, m- maybe those are all just sort of uh, residual results. M- m- maybe that wasn't part of the design, but maybe it was. And, and I, I want to investigate both. But uh, b- because I'm such a fan of Charles Eisenstein, I, I, and, and he speaks to his own, whether it's naivete, but it's not a lack of ignorance that he doesn't quite buy into the conspiracy theories of one world government and new world order. And hey, there's some really compelling information uh, on those theories. But uh, I also hold the space for Charles's belief, and it's not unique to him, it's unique to others, very, I I would say, personally and spiritually evolved people who are putting forth more so the idea that what we're seeing is the revelation of our shadow. It it is what has gone, you know, I'll, I'll quote Charles here because I do have it available. This is from Sacred Economics by Charles Eisenstein, quote, The true culprit, the true puppet master that manipulates our elites from behind the scenes is the money system itself, a credit-based, interest-driven system that arises from the ancient rising tide of separation that generates competition, polarization, and greed, that compels endless exponential growth, and most importantly, that is coming to an end in our time as the fuel for that growth, social, natural, cultural, and spiritual capital runs out. But Charles also talks about that ultimately what is happening is that our deep ideologies and belief systems and their unconscious shadows generate a matrix of synchronicities that looks very much like a conspiracy. And and that is probably more of what is going on. Like, if, if you are curious or brave enough to delve into your own shadow, then, and that, that's just, I, I think, one of the fruits of, especially meditation, is you, you may observe some, some, some thoughts or feelings crop up, and as uh, Rabbi Mark Gaffney points out, we have developed this aversion to the void and to the space in which maybe our, our less beautiful elements pop up before our eyes. And the, the activity we now ha- have for it is an avoid dance. It's a dance where we try to skirt around the void. And I, I think that's a brilliant, clever play on words from Rabbi Mark Gaffney. And it's true. I mean, so much of our distraction culture as I spoke about last time, the, the aversion to, bo- to boredom and quiet is that it would leave us vulnerable to exploring more of our unconscious shadow. And I think in this time of to-do lists and objectives and rational thinking, we have this seeming, seemingly unstoppable 
treadmill where we do, and, and a lot of this in, in sacred economics is, is about this language we develop. I don't have the time. I can't afford to. And that's a, that's a poverty consciousness. That's a scarcity belief wherein we don't think it's useful. I mean, again, everything has to be utility. Why, why do anything if it can't be monetized, profited from, utilized? But I, I, I've adopted the belief that w- what could be more useful than having as close as we can get to a clear image of who we really are? And it is then incumbent upon us to look at our shadow as well, to use whatever tools are at our disposal, if it's silence, if it's plant medicine, if it's therapy, to explore the, the unconscious shadow. Because I believe it was Carl Jung who said something to the effect of, if you don't meet it on the inside, you will meet it in the world on the outside. And we are living through a lot of that. Truly. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I believe I partially, uh, in a major way, agree with Charles that that is, that is really what we're combating. And so to my earlier point that I, I don't find it to be the best course of action to resist that. Uh, if, if you believe in radical freedom, if you believe in that you are a contributor to every single solitary and collective thing that happens in your life and you believe Carl Jung and and the spiritual masters who came before him that anything that disgusts you anything that that disturbs you that may seem external it probably has a resonance inside as well and so feeling through this with you all live at the moment trying to think of as I've had to I think this is what has halted sort of my uh, my crusade against against the last couple years and and the damage it's wrought uh, you know I, I I have to realize the tyrant in my own self I have to realize the fearful person or and the fear monger in my own self I, I have to I, I have to come to face those parts of my personality as well and and try to try try to feel through my own capacity to meet that in the outside world. And am I going to resist it? Am I going to condemn it? You know, we just went through the the Easter season and and it it gave me a, a great opportunity. Despite not being any, any, uh, I I don't subscribe to any particular faith at the moment. I'm I'm happy that I always have the the best parts of Catholicism and Christianity to fall back on. That's something I know, and so I'm I'm familiar with the Easter story. And you know, if revisionist history is the theme here, to think about you know what we do, even to the best of people whom we don't understand. How we, how we condemn them, how we persecute them, how we try to shun them so that we don't have to go through the pain or the transcendence of our own experience. How, 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 uh, how much easier it is, and, we, and we've seen this time and again, I don't, I don't know if it's quite human nature, but 
what we're willing to subdue and silence in favor of preserving just what we're comfortable with, our normal. And I and especially in the last couple of years, I, I did really try to push back against whether it was returning to normal or or even more sort of grotesque with new normal, trying trying to people numbing themselves into thinking that what we just went through is okay. And I don't think it is. I don't I don't think to be forced to do anything that fundamentally alters your genetic makeup, uh, fundamentally alters your immune system, which is largely how we interact with the world. And I mean, I will take this opportunity to say that I have come to adopt the work of David Avocado Wolf. I I hope Avocado is part of his, uh, his born name, but, uh, he's, he's a brilliant soul and, and very much, uh, an embodied activist in, in his own right. But he's a proponent of detoxification as the seminal health practice of our time because we are in contact with so much that uh, so so many toxins and and the a, a vaccination of any kind as I, as I spoke about in turtles all the way down is something that in one way or another we do need to detox from. Because it, it, it contains far more than just what it's purported to contain. E- even if we have a very uh, very mainstream understanding or, or, or what we think is a mainstream understanding of what a vaccine previously contained, just a dead version of, of this alleged virus, then even still th- there are the adjuvants that are in there solely to elicit a very intense immune response. And so we, we are left holding the bag, so to speak, with many, many things that we have to detox from. And I, and I very much think that the, the new form of vaccination that was just injected into so much of the population, that is something that warrants a detox. Uh, I mean, there, there's a, a, a really uh, fascinating myriad list that I will share another time of what a lot of the other toxic elements are, but there's a deeper level that Avocado has spoken about a lot with his homie Shervine, whom whom I, again, someone I really respect and think is a bona fide role model. They talk about that, especially parasitic entities, when they enter us, and there's a sort of a a ethereal or or intangible version of that as well, uh, being a parasite in society, in relationship, the, they're all manifestations of the same of, of the same disease, and but parasites, which which a lot of us are subject to. I mean, if you eat sushi, if you have pets, if you walk barefoot in the world, like like they're they're just out there. And this is why detox is so important. I I believe and they believe, but parasites have this unique presence where they, by entering our organs and and manipulating our immune system and our, our biochemical makeup, that then influences our identity and our decision-making. And this is, this is a massive reason why detox is so important. You need to get those things out of you to get back to your truer self. And so you can see the 
the correlation here to parasitic ideologies, parasitic behaviors, wherein we are we are kept from being who we originally were, who we organically are. And there are all these forces that are working against us. And I, I don't want to hang this all on the head of mRNA vaccine technology, although I do believe, and, and, and I guess I'll use that word especially, I do believe that we are facing a lot of ills. I mean, the the evidence is now stacking up to show that uh, the rapid acceleration of autoimmune diseases, cancers especially, a lot of that is being influenced by the presence of the mRNA vaccine technology. This is to say nothing of the havoc it's wrought on the arterial and uh, cardiovascular systems of especially men. I, th- I think if you are curious enough, I mean, this was going to be the the hours of my talk was to get into all of the research that I have flagged starting in 2021. I mean, this is this is nothing new. It's going it's going to present itself as new information, but unfortunately, it's not. And there are things I'll be linking to Dr. Naomi Wolf's speech on what do the Pfizer documents show as we start to. I mean, th- this is old hat for me at this point, but maybe some of you are, would be hearing this for the first time that Pfizer asked the courts for, and I forget which level of court, I forget which circuit court it was, but they asked for 75 years to release their their testing documents, to, re- to release their clinical trial data. Why do you need 75 years to of, of delayed information release to allay people's fears about safety and efficacy? This is the thing, you can't just, can't just say something. At some, at some point, we we should and must all be asking, who's to say and why and how do you know that it's safe and effective? Uh, I mean, that, I I had to go through those uh, those lessons myself of of challenging people who were telling me, Thomas, you've got nothing to worry about. Why why are you skeptical? Why why don't you just get the shots? They're safe and effective. They told us so. I got it and I'm fine. And I mean, maybe it's it's because I I am so hyper vigilant about the things that I allow to enter my physical and spiritual body. And trust me, stuff gets by the goalie all the time, uh, either willingly or or uh, or not. But and 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 not that I am under any delusion that I have the ability to comb through the exhaustive, I mean, or, or exhausting, uh, amount of information that's, that's included in the, in the Pfizer data. But that, that's why I value people like Naomi Wolf and Aaron Siri and Del Bigtree who are crusaders for that and who go to bat for the rest of us so that we can have the, the synthesis of those findings. And even a synthesis that results in ambiguity of saying, we don't know, this isn't clear that it's safe and effective, should have been sufficient to give people pause. But instead, what we're seeing is a trail of known damage, side effects. Uh, I mean, to, to hearken back to the Turtles All the Way Down book and my podcast, recapitulating a lot of that, there are 
vaccine inserts, which I don't know if any, you know, when you allow your children to get vaccinated or, or you as a, as a college student going for updates, I mean, whether people have the access to this or not, I don't know, but there are vaccine inserts, which include side effects of autism, down syndrome, autoimmune disease, cancer, like, like these, these are things that are revealed in clinical trials, but they're because they're determined by the skewing of testing protocol to be marginally better than a placebo, which is not a real placebo, as, as I discussed, uh, that, then they're considered valuable to public health and to keeping people safe. And it, it's, it's just, it's just bollocks is, is really what all of it is. So, uh, but sadly where we've landed now is we have, uh, a workforce, a military, a young population that is severely handicapped and, and may continue to be for years to come. And in that vein, it is a national security risk, uh, as someone like myself, who is just a, an advocate of vitality and doing everything we can. This is why detox is part of the equation as well. Doing everything we can to reconnect with the most vibrant form of living. These technologies don't do that. And so many technologies, which just chase the, the dog chasing its tail of, uh, symptom treatment, side effects, symptom treatment, side effects, you know, that, that, never-ending circuitous route uh, is, is what we're going to be caught up in again. The fallout from long-term effects of having your M- mRNA altered to create a certain immune response that really taxes your vascular system, your cardio system, your, uh, gosh, I mean, it, it seems to be your, uh, for, for women, I mean, the, the, the menstrual cycle, the reproductive systems, uh, that, that stuff is really alarming. We, we have seen, and again, I mean, this is stuff that I wanted to talk about in depth, but j- just to give you uh, a, a launch pad to go check out for yourself, birth rates in heavily vaccinated countries are way, way down. And so now, now we're butting up against real crises of life and as I said before, I am pro-life in that regard, as, as I want people to live and live well and live wholly and not have anything slow them down and not have anything that is going to make them especially vulnerable to whatever the toxins are in our, in our environment. And they are, they are formidable. And so this is a time through, through knowledge, through strength training through right nutrition through organic connection with your community and i i mean that especially on the level with which you can engage with farmers markets and local farmers and supporting them that we need to simplify our inputs and we need to do everything in our power to inform and reify our ability to be healthy and and really recapture that freedom and sovereignty I mean, that's what this is about. I, I didn't want to spout off of the mouth and give you all of these analytical and research explanations for uh, to, to condemn the mRNA vaccine tyranny and, and mandates um, and, and why you shouldn't get your fourth booster. And I mean, e- even if you think about it as a flu shot 
and, and like it's something that you want to protect yourself against from here on out, uh, I think if you open yourself up to some level of curiosity where you say, okay, what else might there be available to me that that, that the boosters are, are not the, the only outlet? Uh, we, we are now in a transition time where we're going to be looking back with a critical eye at bad decisions, bad information. Uh, if you follow the Twitter files and the the incestuous relationship between social media companies and the government to censor information about vaccine alternatives to early treatment protocol to what they even conceded was uh, you know one, one of the more I think disturbing revelations of, of the Twitter file journalism is that stories of real vaccine side effects were suppressed in order to mitigate vaccine hesitancy. And there are a few things more harmful than that when you are suppressing da- information about real dangers. I mean, that, that is, a, is a vicious feedback cycle that creates even more danger. When you keep people in the dark, they will run into things. They will hurt themselves. When you keep people in the dark, they may even come to avoid the light because it's it's that harmful and I, and I I think about that idea all the time that that light think about the sun it can be illuminating if you're not acclimated to it it can blind you and I mean that that's a profound idea to sit with and I think I, I've had that aversion in my life as well is is what is the cost to my comfort level and my beliefs that I hold if I were to be blinded by a new light, if I were to leave myself open to a new truth. And I mean, I, that is the, the gist. Uh, gist is a, is a great word. I, I recently purchased an etymological dictionary to understand the, the origins of words and gist come, you know, comes from, uh, Latin first and then French, and it's it's really where something lies. And that is, you know, I I think that's important when we talk about this is the 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 gist of something. This is the the bottom line. This is the the punchline. Uh, the the gist of this final episode is to say that there are a lot of there is an abundance of information, partial truths, whole truths new ideas, new beliefs that are lying in wait for you. And if you are at all uncomfortable with how things have played out in the last few years and you're at all uncertain about what this may mean for the future, there's no time like the present to wade through the tall grass, to lie down in it, to see what might be lying there next to you. There could be some new gists that you're going to pick up. And that will mean something entirely new and different to you. And we do have time for that. The more beautiful world our hearts know is possible is out there for us. But first, it, it lies within our hearts. The gist that I'm talking about first needs to be explored in your own heart. And, you know, of, of all the things that I, I could say in conclusion, 
uh, hindsight is still a very valuable thing to look back, to learn and reevaluate, come up with new ways of, of being present so that we can, because the future is contained in our present. What we do now will echo through eternity and will have that reverberation impact on our immediate future, on our next hour, on our next month, on our next year. And this time is essential. My, my next episode is a crisis episode. I want to broadly cover some of the crises that we are encountering with ever-increasing urgency. And, and, and not to, I mean, I, I may offer some solutions that come from the minds that I revere and look to, but a lot of this is just awareness. The, for, for me, and I hope for you, awareness is that most exciting adventure because you can never have enough of it. That, that, is a, that is a true abundance of awareness where you can leave yourself open to every level of sensory input, of transcendent input, of uh, hi- hyper-awareness. New ways of interacting with information and experience in the world. And that is what's going to be essential as we encounter these crises because we cannot continue to interface with them with the level of consciousness that continues to keep us stuck. And it is that limited consciousness of scientific reductionism, of, 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 cynical, of, of, of cynical... We're too cynical, <laughs> is, is the bottom line. But uh, it's, it's a limited attitude that makes us feel so... Like what we do is so futile. Why resist? Why Why do things differently than what everyone else is doing? Why be different? Because you are. And you will be serving yourself and your soul and by dint of that, this world, by being different. By every choice you make as you can be as aware of as possible, how can I do this differently than what other people are doing? It's a massive challenge. I hope you're up for it. I, I am strengthening myself as we speak to be up for it. But uh, as always, I'm motivated by the challenge of what I get to do here to explore all this on the microphone with and for you all so that we can have this back and forth because I know this will land with you sometime, somewhere. And I'll get to feel you know, my own kind of aftershocks of that. But uh, we've got some beautiful, gorgeous, difference-making work to do by being different. And we are changed by living through these last few years. And I pray that it is for your better world, our better world, that starts with you know some level of anger and indignation and frustration and confusion and then launches us into new light into new ideas, solutions, and also sometimes just some peace of I'm going to, the the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and that wisdom to know the difference. And be curious, look into, you know, don't don't ever be afraid to revisit the choices you've made and say, hey, maybe I got that one wrong 
And it's not about blame. It's not about who's to blame, who deceived me. Although, yes, there was a great deal of deception out there. Uh, but we won't be deceived for long. We have too much information and knowledge and wisdom. We are living in the wisdom economy. And we need to take advantage of it so that we can heal, so we can be whole, so that we can be of help to one another. And I hope I can continue to do that for you. Thank you for listening.